Well, we got some good news on Friday. We're going to get the band back together. Uh, we are excited about being able to see each other face to face. The church scattered will be the church reunited and gathered. So, Pastor Chip, stay tuned at the end of our time together because Pastor Chip is going to say a few words about our reopening plan and what it looks like for us to get back together uh, one week from today. So, we're really looking forward to that and looking forward to seeing each other face to face, even if we are covered a little bit. So, uh, hey, it's really been interesting to hear people interpret the pandemic, you know, uh, from their point of view. So, if you're an economist, right, it sounds like one thing. If you're a medical professional, uh, you're interpreting this pandemic from a different perspective. If you're a Bible prophecy teacher, yet another perspective still. Uh, but I want to encourage you to think really practically about what God is teaching us uh, as, we, as we see the, the, the ability to come back together and this restriction starting to be lifted, what's the Lord teaching us? And not to move too quickly away from that, um, simplicity of life, contentment, patience, learning to take long walks again with our family, um, things that, how to engage my neighbor, which I have felt I don't know uh, if you felt this or not, but I felt a more acute sense of responsibility to do that. And these are things we just do not want to move too quickly past. And I think, and we've said this in, in light of our One Another series, when it comes to church life, what is God teaching us? I think he's testing our commitment to one another, our affection for one another, our longing for one another. Do do we long to be with one another? Has absence made the heart grow fonder? Uh, the reason that that proverb works is because affection is there to begin with. So if, abs if absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder, you know, it's a reflection of something, right? So, so we're thinking about God testing us in terms of our love for one another, our commitment to one another, and, and we've been studying the one another's. Today we're gonna think about love for one another. And Robert Jones, our friend, our friend Bob Jones, in his article on the one another said this, to have a dynamic, healthy connection with our brothers and sisters in Christ. To have a dynamic, active, healthy connection with brothers and sisters in Jesus is not optional. It is an essential element of the biblical vision. And I love the way he put that. We belong to one another, he says. And then he goes on, and the greatest and highest duty we have toward one another, according to both the Old Testament and the teachings of Jesus, is to love one another. So we wanna think about that today. We wanna think about what it means to love one another, and then we'll hit a second one another as we close, which flows out of this love for one another, build one another up. But first, let's think about what it means to love one another. I want to show you three features of our love for one another. Uh, incarnated love, sacrificial love, and irresistible love. Incarnated, sacrificial, and irresistible love. Let's start with incarnated love. Look with me in verse 31 and notice the phrase that Jesus uses to describe himself. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Look at that line, the Son of Man. Son of man is a really important phrase in the New Testament because it ties Jesus 
to us directly. It ties him to our humanity. But it's not a simplistic kind of thing, meaning son of God refers to his divinity, son of man, his humanity. It's more than that. What's happening here is Jesus is quoting Daniel chapter 7. He's quoting the prophets. He's referring back to this Old Testament imagery that Daniel the prophet spoke about the coming Messiah, the Son of Man, this mysterious figure who, who's going to not just be another man. He's no mere mortal, right? In, in Daniel 7, he comes on the clouds signifying his deity, his power, his sovereignty. Um, he is entrusted with the rule of the world by the ancient of days. God himself entrust the son of man with this cosmic rule so he is a man yes but he's not like any other man and so gleason archer uh, writes he's the heavenly the son of man is the heavenly sovereign incarnate one that's worth hanging on to jesus the son of man is the heavenly son who's sovereign and he's taken the form of a man to come and identify with man and rule over man. Both of those things are embedded in that language. Um, the most amazing thing to me about the Son of Man is, he, is that he doesn't show up like Thor with a hammer and lightning bolts and destroy the whole place. That's, that's amazing. He instead comes the first time on a mission of love to glorify the Father by taking the form of those he's going to rescue. And so he's going to come and be the last Adam to recapitulate the life that Adam did not live, to get everything right that Adam got wrong. He's going to come and do that, and, and he's going to do it in beautiful, loving obedience to the Father. That's what the incarnation is about. It's driven by love to redeem those who have fallen so short. And so that helps us to interpret, some of you have probably been scratching your head on this phrase, the new commandment, right? Because in this whole section, as you heard the, in the scripture reading, there's this new commandment, and we're like, wait, wait, what's, what's new about this, right? What, what's, what's new about this? It can't be that Jesus is the first one to obligate us to love one another. That, that can't be what, I mean, that's all over the Old Testament. That's like at the heart of, of Old Testament law to love God, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what, is, what does new mean? What is this new commandment? Here's what it means, I think. This is part of what it means. And we'll kind of walk through this at each stage. So the first thing I think it means is, is that it's new because never before and never again. Never before and never again. Never before has the love of God been perfectly fulfilled and embodied in a single person in jesus himself and never again so the incarnation is never to be repeated and those who warn us about you know trying to 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 live the incarnated life of christ right there's some warning out there about that there's some truth in that warning because the incarnation is a one-time deal descriptive of one person never to be repeated and while that is true, that the incarnation is never to be repeated, we want to quickly add, yet it is always to be imitated. It's always to be imitated, so there's something very 
helpful to us as we think about the life of the church bringing the gospel to life in an unbelieving, needy, lost, broken world. We're never more like Christ than when we set aside our own glory and enter someone else's world to be more interested in them than in ourselves. So that's incarnated love. And and that kind of love should underwrite our love for one another as we step into each other's worlds and into the world of those who have not yet believed. The second feature of our love for one another is that it is sacrificial. Notice verse 33, Jesus says, I'll only be with you for a little bit longer and then you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, I now say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you're not gonna be able to come. Not right now. And so you may remember from John's gospel, our study, that he says this repeatedly. And what he's essentially saying is, I'm going back to the Father. Like, I'm going to go back to the Father, and you can't come there yet. But that's where I'm going. And what's interesting about that phrase is, he keeps saying it to the Jews. Essentially, he's, he's doubling down on what they will end up charging him with in terms of blasphemy. He's doubling down on his identity with the Father. So he said, I'm going back to the Father. But the way that he gets back to the Father is what's so interesting to us today. He goes back to the Father through the cross, the way of the cross. Only after he fulfills the Father's mission will will he be with him again. So so he's on this mission, and to get back to the Father, he's got to give himself in a costly act of love to be the atoning sacrifice for all of humanity. That's how he gets back to the Father, by fulfilling that mission. So God so loved the world that he sacrificed his son, that he might redeem us. Or Romans 8, it is God who is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also graciously give us all things? Like this is the the heart of the gospel, that Jesus embodies sacrificial love to redeem us and and, and rescue us. Uh, One of the most amazing things that comes out of that, right? Will he not graciously give us all things? One of the all things that God gives us is true, imitated, sacrificial love for one another. Love that, that flows from Christ and points people to Christ. Again, the good Dr. Jones in his article on the one and others defines love for one another in relation to Jesus' love for us. Listen to this. What does it mean to love one another, he says. Scriptural love is not an emotion, although good feelings attend and flow from it. It is volition. Scriptural love is volition, a decision, an act of the will. It is a whole-souled commitment of attitude and action to seek the highest good of the one loved and even at great personal cost, just as Jesus did for us. Like at the heart of love for one another is whole body and soul commitment to do something for someone else that is in their best interest more so than my own. That that leads to the second way in which this is a new commandment. A second way in which is this, this is a new commandment that Jesus is talking about is that never before has love been so sacrificial. Never before has it meant what it means. Greater love has this than 
than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. Never before have we seen the love of God in Christ like this. The third feature of our love for one another is that it's irresistible. So it's incarnated, it is sacrificial, and then third, it's irresistible. Uh, another way to say it would be to say that it's missional, that it, that it moves out toward people and is attractive to, uh, to other people. Take a moment and look closely at verses 34 and 35 and just watch for a repeated phrase. L- look at verses 34 and 35 and watch for something that's repeated three times. See if you can find it. Verse 34, love one another. Verse 34 again, love one another. 35, three times, love one another. Three times Jesus says love one another. Love one another, love one another, love one another. So much so that you might get the sense, you'd be tempted to think he's just talking about staying in the circle. This circle of disciples, you guys, you just care about yourselves. Just make sure you love each other. That's what you're supposed to do, right? You could, if you're not careful, read this as a love that is restricted to its own circle. A circle that's hard to get into from the outside and a circle that's even hard to get out of. It kind of reminds me of the circle of trust in Meet the Parents that Greg just cannot seem to get into, right? That's not, Jesus cannot be talking about that. Everything Jesus taught and did and, and lived was always saying something else. Oh yes, it talked about that, that circular exchange of love, but it never stopped inside. It never got stuck inside the circle, which is why verse 35 reads the way that it does. Look at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Jesus, by this, all people, by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. Jesus explicitly says that our love for one another uh, should mean something to the world, should have an effect on the world. Our love for one another is not so that the world can admire our perfect conduct as a separatist group Uh, Like, wow, be impressed by our religious holy club. That's not what our love for one another is supposed to do. Instead, our selfless love toward one another is is to evoke an image of Jesus as the one who sacrificed himself for us. So they're not, we're not asking people to look at us and our holy club. We're asking people to look at Jesus right? It, it turns out it's not a circle that just keeps looking in toward itself, but rather it's a spiral. It's a spiral that keeps moving out and up and toward those who have yet to believe. Again and again, the disciples are called to tap into this great underlying secret. In John's gospel, over and over again, the underlying secret is the love of God. It's the love of God in Christ. If that's what unites the church, that's what makes the church what it is, and then it recirculates back out into the world to bring more to it. So, so it's much more like a spiral than a circle. It's much more like something that is open and bringing something back into it uh, that moves away from itself and toward others. So here's what this means for us. Our Bible study classes are spirals. They're not just circles. Our community groups, they're spirals. They're always spiraling out to embrace and connect with someone else. 
our one-on-one pairings, at every layer, our, our, our gathering as a people, at every layer of community, we want to be more like a spiral that's moving out, not just this circle that's really comfortable and facing in. And, and that brings us to the newness again of the command. It's a new commandment because never before has love been so irresistible. Like before we saw somebody's love, but we didn't understand it because it was fairly human love. It wasn't compelling to us because it was, it was fairly human love. But now, when our love is tied to Christ, when it exemplifies Christ, when it puts Christ and his sacrifice on display, it gets a, an irresistibility about it. it. It really gets the kind of thing that people say over and over again in their testimonies. I want what you have. Where'd you get that kind of love? It's the love of Christ. And only God can give that. The new command means that never before has love been so irresistible. So those are the three features of our love for one another. It is incarnated, it's sacrificial, and it's irresistible. There's one more one another that we want to get on the table today because it is a direct outworking of love. And that is to build one another up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So what does it look like practically to love one another? That loving one another moves right into this very practical thing that the apostles call us to do, which is to build one another up, to strengthen one another. And what they mean by this is that we can actually help each other grow in Christ-likeness. Increasingly built and rebuilt, tooled and retooled into the character and image of Christ. So it's not so much like we're helping Susie become the greatest Susie she can be, or John to become the greatest John that he could be, or, or Betty to become the greatest Betty. That, rather, it's that Susie, John, and Betty are discovering who they are in Christ, and, and the image of Christ is becoming more and more part of who they are. They retain their personalities and their distinctives, but they, they really become who Christ wants them to be, conformed to the image of Jesus. So our goal in church life is not to build buildings. It's not to build agendas. It's not to build my own religious kingdom. Our goal in church life is to build one another up to kind of, to take the image that Paul uses and say, to take one stone after another and set it right up against the cornerstone who is Christ. So, so in Paul's mind, it's like we're all these, these stones that are being quarried and tooled and rebuilt um, in direct relation to the cornerstone who is Christ. So we don't measure ourselves based on the stones that are three or four stones down or five stones above us. God's building us into a, a beautiful temple of, of living stones that have been quarried and, and shaped all based on the standard of one stone, one cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you and I have to figure out ways to build and strengthen one another in Christ-likeness. So we're constantly looking to Jesus in the process. Now, to show you how important that is, turn to one final place, Romans 15. Romans 15, verses one through three. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with those who are weak 
and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor, watch this, for his good, to build him up. Notice that, to build him up. How? How? Wh- to what end? Like, wh- what does it look like? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up because Christ did not live to please himself. The great call for you and I to build into one another's lives and be interested in one another's lives toward Christ-likeness is that Jesus himself showed us that. He did not please himself, but gave himself. He did not please himself, but, but let the reproach and blame and guilt of us fall on him. And so that's, the, that's, that's what's behind us being interested in building one another up, that Christ didn't please himself, but he gave himself to, to, build, uh, to rebuild us and to rebuild our lives. So... That's our example. He, he's the one who resources us to do this. And I would like to pray for us today that you and I would, would really begin to grasp what it would look like and think well about what it would look like to build one another up in Christ-likeness. Choosing to follow Jesus by not pleasing ourselves but being more interested in someone else than our own lives. If you're a believer today, we want to pray that way. If you've not yet trusted in Christ, I want to pray for you today that this, that this idea would come alive to you. Look what it says in verse 3. The guilt, the reproach, the, um, the disgrace, the disgrace and, and, and guilt that should have fallen on us Instead, it falls on Christ. And that's really the beauty of the gospel. So I want to pray for that for you today. If you have not yet experienced God taking Jesus, taking your guilt, your disgrace on himself. So would you pray with me, both believers and unbelievers? I just want to ask you to stay, uh, to pause for a minute and pray with me. Lord, as believers today, we pray that you would help us to discover help us to be creative help us to be interested in pleasing others more than ourselves really taking up the life of christ to build into one another christ likeness help us to do that for those of us who have never really trusted jesus oh god would you help us to realize that our guilt and disgrace and shame can be rolled on to Jesus. And Lord, would you help us to embrace that and to find great freedom in the love of Christ who bore our reproach, whose reproach and the the reproach, my reproach fell on him. What a beautiful thing for my guilt, my shame to be able to be put on Christ and for me not to be held responsible for it, but to be freed from its it's uh, enslaving power and it's judgment. And so help us with that. Help us to discover the gospel today and help us to build one another up, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.